If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3, the seventh verse. You can just listen if you'd like, you can read on the screen, whatever, whatever works best for you. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, from Galilee, from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Edomea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies Against, who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's before us, that we can just open the scriptures easily and freely. But God, we pray that the word would not just be before us, it would penetrate within us, that we would be shaped from the inside out, by your own word. God, I pray that you would help me to speak in that direction and that everything that is not of you would fade away like all else fades away. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
This morning, uh, as we, we move on in our series on the gospel of, of Mark, uh, and we've talked about how it seems like the, the true identity of Jesus is, is hidden before people in plain sight, the question of whether you see him properly and follow him truly is, is right there in front of you. Um, and it's the question of what does it mean to follow Jesus, who is a real disciple, is, is one of the major themes of this gospel. And it's, it's really starkly presented to you with the unexpected, maybe, alliance of, of these Pharisees and scribes who already we've seen are skeptics of Jesus and Jesus' family. Um, this is, a, in many ways, a bizarre series of exchanges. Jesus, if you haven't noticed a lot already in the Gospel of Mark, he's often retreating. If you go back through the uh, first three chapters that we've looked at, it will say um, many times Jesus goes out, uh, it goes away, and these people, a large crowd is following him because they've heard what he can do, they've seen what he can do, and they, the language of how they're following is described, they're not really like disciples, they're more like stalkers, uh, they, they want to get as close to Jesus as possible, you can hear him, like they just want to touch him, and it's not, I mean, it's not like they're crazy, it's for good reason. Because Jesus has healed people and delivered people. Jesus seems to use the, the tactic of, of going out onto a boat onto the water because the crowd can't like crush him from there. The water will carry his voice and he has to teach from the water. But he's, he's just generally retreating a lot. Mark will say that Jesus will go off to desolate places. And he has this rhythm, this flow, this ebb and flow of retreat and advance, retreat and advance. Because these people who are crushing in around him, they, they may be following him. They may be, in a sense, stalking him. But they have not necessarily crossed the line into being his followers. And, and Jesus starts to delineate this difference here in this series of stories of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of God. Because the, the people who are in his life as either skeptics or, and or family, they aren't quite sure that Jesus is on the right team. They're not sure that Jesus is doing what he ought to do. So you have a, a one little story that Jesus goes up to the mountain. What, what mountain? We're not totally sure, but probably mount, a mountain near the Sea of Galilee. He, calls, he goes up to the mountain. He calls these 12, these famous 12, and he appoints them. And Mark uses the word as apostles. They're most frequently called disciples at this point, but they will become the apostles, the ones who will be sent. And you give, get these names of who they are. We, for the first time in Mark's gospel, we see, we see Peter come. Uh, Peter's a nickname uh, for Simon. And James and John are there, and Judas is there. Where Mark tells you right at the top, he's going to be the traitor. But he's one of the twelve. He's the, they're there. These are the people who are called to Jesus, whom he desired. 
so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. That's who these people will be. We know that this, the, the, the cohort of discipleship is larger than these 12 because Jesus will send out at time 70 or 72. There's more people that follow Jesus. These, though, these 12 are the, the heads of this new family of discipleship. And if you're an Israelite, Jesus is purposefully calling on the story of Israel here. It, 12 isn't probably because these are the 12 best guys. He only happens to have 12 good ones, and he, so he just picks 12. It's almost certainly because Jesus is an Israelite. The people he's are preaching to are Israelites, and Jesus is calling on the story of Israel. And the people of Israel had been called to a different mountain and were, their identity as a people was really formed, it was solidified at that mountain, at Sinai. And Jesus now is doing a, a new thing because most of those tribes are gone. There's only two and a half tribes really left. The, the rest have been wiped away by invasion and all kinds of factors. So the 12 tribes don't exist anymore. But Jesus forms a new 12 and begins to reinitiate, reinaugurate the new Israel, the new people of God. And these are the people who are going to come and be with him. They're going to preach. They're going to cast out demons with authority. And he's attracting this huge crowd, which apparently makes his family deeply uncomfortable. And if you're familiar with sort of the, the stories that grow up around Christianity, this sort of feels uncomfortable because Jesus' mom is there. We only have, really have stories of Mary being basically awesome, but here's Mary here, and at the very least, she and Jesus' brothers and apparently sisters who are there feel like they have to restrain Jesus. Uh, if if they don't think literally that he's crazy, which is kind of what it sounds like, it doesn't necessarily mean that. He, at the, the very least, they think, you've misplayed your strategy here. But definitely they want to hold him back. And so Mark does this thing uh, in his gospel. We'll see it multiple times where he creates a, a story sandwich for you. So if you, if you look here in chapter 3, the... The family appears in verse 20 and 21, and they, they say he's out of his mind. And then suddenly the Pharisees and the scribes start talking. And then the other side of the sandwich is that the, the family starts talking again. And, and Mark is squeezing these pieces together so that you'll pay attention to both the bread and, and the meat. And the question is, is Jesus doing what he is supposed to do? The scribes and the Pharisees say he's only doing all of these things because he's in league with the devil. That's, that's why he's able to speak and the demons obey is because obviously he's the boss of demons as one of the demons. And Jesus says, this is a dumb theory. This doesn't make sense at all. Um, you guys are too smart for this. Why would, why would Satan fight against himself? It doesn't work that way. And then he's, he offers them a warning. And he, he, he names this thing called 
blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you grow up in church, you've almost definitely heard of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the only unforgivable sin mentioned in the Bible, which is kind of a, you know, warning light there. Kind of a big one, big deal. And I don't know, half, ki- half the kids who grow up in church and hear this mention are like, is this me? Have I done this? I know I've been in trouble before. Is that what that was? Am I now unforgivably marked? Jesus, and, and everybody who I've ever talked to is really afraid of whether they were the ones that committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I always tell them, like, if you're worried about it, you probably didn't do it. That's, you're probably fine. Um, there, he's speaking to these scribes and Pharisees who are being presented the, the very antithesis of the devil. And they are in danger of knowingly rejecting what God offers and who God is and saying that that is evil. It is this kind of intentionality and responsibility and knowingness that so highlights this particular kind of sin. And, and Jesus says it's very serious. It's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's, an, it's a sin that endures. It's an, an inter, eternal, age-upon-age age kind of sin. But they're saying, is this one, is he on the side of the devil? And Jesus' family, the sandwich bread on either side of the sandwich, they're being presented as the ones who don't in that moment, and we would say this is only a temporary thing based on the other Gospels, they don't understand. It appears to be hidden from them. And Jesus has this, uses them as an object lesson. They're wanting to come inside and deliver this message like, dude, you need to get this under control or you're going to cause some problems. And he looks around at everybody else and says, who are my mother and my brothers and my brothers and sisters? And he says, here you are, the ones who are sitting with me. The, these ones are my, my mother and my brothers and my sisters. For whoever does the will of God... He or she is my brother or my sister, my mother. This is a a pretty radical move for a culture, a time, and a place that is very strongly oriented around the home and around family structure. Jesus changes the rules of the game. He changes everything. Kind of right in the face of his actual mom. This is, in many ways, really unsettling. But Jesus says that being his disciple alters everything. Now, what what does it really mean to be a disciple? Jesus, in, in this passage, series of vignettes, He gives us just a few things of what he wants from his 12. He wants from this 12, he wants these people to come and be with him. He wants them to come be with him, to speak for him, and to do what he's doing. To act against the authority of the devil. To push back against the world. And and then he just summarizes it and says, 
my family is those who do the will of God. Those who do the will of God. That is what reorients everything around a life of discipleship with Jesus. Jesus has demonstrated a pattern of retreat and withdrawal that he invites these other people to mimic, to join him with. And the, the question as we read this and are read by this text is, how available are we to follow Jesus away from the business, the ordinariness of our lives and to be with him? And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't describe to you this is what this looks like. It would be, I think, really handy if I could just give you a list of behaviors. Just do this thing. And, and in some circumstances, sometimes in places, maybe that's, that is what people have told you. That in the morning, you have to get up at a certain time. You have to read a chapter of the Bible every day. You have to pray for a certain amount of minutes, and you're, you're done, and you're out. And let, let me just say, reading your Bible alone with God is really important, and you should do it. I strongly recommend it to you. It's an excellent practice for being with Jesus. However, there are also other things that are available to you. The, the heart of it is, is not making sure you're moving through a checklist of a Bible reading plan. Bible reading plans are great because they tell you exactly what to do. Me, personally, I really need that. I, I don't trust myself every day to say, you know what, I really need to continue reading the Bible. I trust myself to say, I really need more time to sleep or to watch something that I want to watch or do something else. I, I appreciate being told, look, if you, dude, if you want to read the whole Bible, you're going to have to read this much today. And if you don't today, you're going to have to make up for it tomorrow. I, I've, I benefit from that. But also, the heart of the task, ultimately, is not to make sure that you read through your whole Bible every year. The heart of the task of a disciple is to be with Jesus. And, and for, for some of you, reading is really difficult. Either you're just a poor reader, you have, you have learning disabilities, you have eye issues, whatever it is, reading is really hard. So if you think that the, the heart, the goal of the task is to make sure you read your whole Bible every single year, which again is great, then you feel crushed under the weight of a, of a goal you cannot reach. So what happens to you then as a person? Well, I guess I just won't try. It's impossible for me. Now, the heart behind regular immersion in Scripture is to be with Jesus. That's it. And for, for many of us, if we're honest, the language of just being with Jesus can be incredibly challenging. Do I really want that? Do I want to be with Jesus? It's boring. It's hard. 
I feel nothing. This is the normal and ordinary experience of people who are seeking to just be with Jesus. Not all the time, but very frequently. That's what a lot of people are experiencing. And so you come to the task of being a disciple, come to the task of just being with Jesus. You, you don't feel this kind of instant emotional leap or connection. You, you don't really excel at reading your whole Bible. And it just feels like, why would I drag myself through this kind of quagmire of experience towards what end, for what purpose? And if that's you, I just want you to, to hear and to understand that the thing that you are experiencing in that moment is so normal. It is not because discipleship is not for you. It is not because Jesus doesn't want to be with you. It's not because you are too broken or corrupted to be a disciple of Jesus. That experience that you are feeling is being human. There are things in your life and in mind that naturally pull us away from Jesus. And I, I just want to say to you that there is real power in just showing up to be with him. And it, it may be the plodding experience of morning or evening or whatever, afternoon after afternoon after afternoon. And you don't know quite what is happening. But that's kind of the point of being a disciple, as you are repeatedly and openly saying, you know, and I don't. You're the master, and I'm the teacher. Because what so often happens in the ordinary life of following and being with Jesus is, you have no idea what God is up to with you. You just don't have a clue. And it takes so long <laughs> to finally sort of crest the hill, look back at where you've come from and realize, oh, this whole time, God has been doing something in me. I was so blind to it, though. I just couldn't even see it right then. But Jesus is committed to you. Jesus commits himself to these 12 men who the text tells you are problematic. <laughs> One of them is a traitor. These other ones, Peter, James, and John, probably all of their nicknames, Peter being a nickname, refers to character defects. Peter is the rocky one, the stony one, before he is the rock based on his confession of faith. He's the hard-headed one, the one with the mouth that flies open. James and John are probably not named sons of thunder because of how well-considered and patient they are. Jesus is committed to them, though, and Jesus is committed to you. And he is calling you and me up the mountain to be with, just to be with him. And these places of retreat and desolation in his own life, he calls these 12 friends to himself, and so he calls you. 
And he and these 12 will follow Jesus' patterns. They will mimic with him. When Jesus goes away, they will often go with him. And when Jesus goes in to do ministry, they will go with him. And, and he tells them this is exactly what he's going to do with them. They'll be called up the mountain to be with him. And then they'll go out to preach and to cast out demons. And God is going to do the same thing with you. It's the, the pattern that he established with Jesus 2,000 years ago has not been revoked. It is the ordinary pattern of Christian life. Retreat to be with him and go out and speak with him and speak for him. This is ultimately when Jesus talks about doing the will of God, this is what it starts to look like. And this, this is really important to see that Jesus... He hangs discipleship on the doing of the will of God. Which if you're a church person, if you've grown up in, in church, we need to rehear that news. That, that church people cannot just say, oh, I'm a disciple because I have of my you know, frequent membership card at a church. It is not just to, to come here a lecture, see a show, sort of check a box and move on. I mean, coming to worship together is essential. It is vital in a life of faith. It is the ordinary rhythm of life with God. That's from the Old Testament and the New. You should come to church. I recognize where we are. But membership in a club is not all that God wants of you. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to go with him. Be with him. Go with him. You are meant to obey him in this thing. And it radically reorients everything. People like us need to pay attention to what Jesus says here about the family. Because churches are a place where lots of families, biological family units, are in view. Family is important to us. Valley Hope, it's, I mean, if you didn't know that in a few minutes, it's going to be very clear. <laughs> Families are important to us. It's going to get noisy in here. There's going to be a lot of little children in here. Families are really important in what we budget for, how we think. Biological families are an important part of how the kingdom of God grows. It's always been that way since the days of Israel. We believe in that. It's significant and it's important. However, Jesus is a single man forming a new community and family around probably several other single and married people. They come from diverse backgrounds and occupations. And Jesus said, all of these people have a place in his household. All of them. It is the, the family of God is not based upon your marital status, your job, your skin color, the language you speak, your interests, the number of children you do or not, do not have. The family of God is oriented around one person. 
It's Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. The question for us is, is that properly reflected to people who show up to be in the room with us? Does the person who is like Jesus, who is single, who is unmarried, do they feel that they are also part of this family in an equal participatory manner? Or do they have to feel like they have to wiggle their way in somehow? Are they, do they feel that they're a second-class citizen? Does, does the single mom whose family does not look like yours or mine, do they view themselves as an equal and full participant in the family of God? Or do they, see, do they feel that they're overlooked with a different kind of membership card? Do people with different skin colors, do people with different bank accounts, do they come in and do they feel and understand that Jesus has made the family of God to be built around one determining factor, not 20, one. Him. Attentiveness to the will, the voice of God. And the truth is, we probably don't do that well. We individually in our households, probably in the context of this church, Valley Hope, probably at large, generally, broadly, we find that people build households the way that we do by instinct. We find people that look like us, that act like us, that do like us, and we say, this is what the family of God looks like. And Jesus is up to something different. And if we are going to be a discipled, and discipling family, then we have to hear this and to respond accordingly because disciples do the will of God. So the question for me in my household is, when and how does my schedule, my table look like what the kingdom ought to look like. The question that we have to ask together is when and how does our time, our resources, our budget, when do we reflect together this dynamic of the family of God? And if you're like me, you don't really necessarily appreciate that line of inquiry. <laughs> Because I like being comfortable. I'm already too busy. How am I supposed to expand and contract appropriately? I don't always know the answer. I don't even always know the answer for my own family. I don't. But I know where it starts. And it starts with being with Jesus. The only way that you can start to look more and more like him is if you spend time with him. Are you attentive to the voice of the head of the household? Are you attentive to this one who would call you up the mountain and offer you the chance to come be with him 
and to speak with him and to speak for him and act in his name. Are you attentive to that? Will you let Jesus do in your life what even his own family was uncomfortable with him doing? Because Jesus' own family was saying, not like that. <laughs> not now. Not like that. Let me pull you in. Let me restrain you. Let me not let you do that. And I, I don't know your business. I don't know your life personally in the nitty-gritty of the details of your life. My suggestion would be is if Mary could make this mistake, it's possible that you could as well. It's very possible that you might look at Jesus and say, let, let me redirect you here. The great thing about Jesus, though, is that he's Jesus. He is so patient and persistent. And the door is not closed. It's not even closed to the scribes and Pharisees. He doesn't say to them, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You, are, you have committed the unforgivable, unforgivable sin. The door is open. And if today you are here and you are realizing... I like coming to the, the thing. I like being a part of the club. I don't know that I've always been too keen on being with Jesus, doing the will of God. The door is not closed to you. Even in that realization, what you are experiencing is the ordinary life of following Jesus. Because what you are invited to in that moment is repentance. You've been going one way. And now you need to go another. And Jesus loves repentant people. He loves them. He doesn't say, once you finish turning around and gotten far enough down the road, then I will love you. He loves you now. He, he is committed to you. If you feel like you have fallen far short of the mark, Jesus has said, come be in my household. It's his house, and you are welcome in it. If you've fallen down again and again and again, if your soul is weary from trying to figure this out, the Lord loves you. You are his people, and he will continue to come after you and to call you up the mountain with him. Over and over and over again. So if today your heart is pricked, you are weary, you are feeling conviction, guilt, turn and respond to him. And he will be good to you. If today you are realizing, you know what? I've actually been living the whole time not like this. I've actually never really cared about doing what Jesus says. I've never cared about this thing that he says, doing the will of God. I've actually just kind of wanted some moral cover for me doing whatever I want. Today, you're being unveiled. You're seeing clearly. And again, it's not because Jesus hates you. It's because he loves you. 
He doesn't want you stumbling around in the dark anymore and thinking you're one place when you're actually another. Today, the good news is, just like Mark has taught us to see over and over again, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is great news. You didn't see it before, but now you do. So the answer is the same. There's one, one treatment for this. Repent and believe. Repent, turn around, go to him. And Jesus will be so good to you, too. This is what the new Israel, what the new people of God looks like. People who've been called in to Jesus and go out with him. And if today you want that to be more true than it was yesterday, you are in good company. You've come home. And the family welcomes you and embraces you. And together... God willing, together and as together as we possibly can be in the name of Jesus, we will continue to go up and to go out with him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you've called us to be with you. And that you're worth being with. That even our soul might rebel, we might feel tired, we might feel weary, we may, may feel hurt. And it feels hard to just continue to go back to being with you. But you are, you are worth it. You actually are. And God, I pray for, for everyone who is here, who is weary, who is heavy laden, who doesn't even know if they're cut out for a life of discipleship because it feels like nothing or, or it feels so hard, God, I pray that they would, they would see and understand that there's a lifetime of your commitment to them. That they can just rest and, and coming and just showing up and doing their very best, just giving you what they have and, and you're not holding a measuring stick up to them. You are committed to them and give to them your love. God, I pray for the people who have gone a long time trying to be a good disciple and feel so dry, feel devoid of experience. I know that that is a difficult place to be. And God, I pray that you would provide for them strength to endure and sweetness to continue to want to. God, I pray for people who are here today who have actually lived a life rejecting you and maybe under religious cover, Maybe they've come to church, they've done the religious things, and they've used that to cover for wanting nothing to do with knowing you and, and obeying you. God, I pray that there would be great joy as they realize the great sorrow of what they've missed. God, I pray that they would know that the kingdom of God is at hand, the door is flung open, and they might run in. Lord Jesus, would you come and rescue all of us who have wandered off the mountain and far away from you? God, may we be a people where family is much broader than our biological ties. God, may we be a people where there is always another room in the house, another seat at the table, that all of our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends might come and find you, be found by you. I know that there's a place for them. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.